This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger has been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I will love it if we beat them. This is football heritage. Con Giovanni, yeah, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you're, you, you, are, you are an ostrich. After years of complaints about fixture congestion, managers have finally gotten their way. A winter break has finally arrived in the Premier League, but not like how we expected it. Games will still take place during the three-week exercise and giving everyone a two-week break. Hello and welcome to the Total Football Podcast. I'm your host, Declan Harry, and joining me is Andrew Conway. Hello. Andrew, is this a real solution to the problem or a compromise where no one is, no one is happy? Well, for certain clubs, they're not going to be happy over it because... Uh, they have to play cup replays in the middle of their so-called break uh, a la Liverpool although I think of all the clubs that might suffer during it Liverpool might be the the least concerned overall with their, the way their season's going uh, uh, I do not think it's an end solution I think there's probably more clever ways and we've discussed them in the past to kind of alleviate the problems with the with the congestion around Christmas time in particular, like there, there's nothing necessarily wrong with like getting rid of one of the games at Christmas, and then per- perhaps everyone will probably be happier in terms of the the quality of football might be a bit better. Uh, just the way the players might be a bit less fatigued. There might be a fewer injuries, and I think the TV companies could still probably manage to put matches on every day or nearly every day. Because I think there is a bit of a burnout situation happening around Christmas as well with the amount of football that's on and you kind of lose run of yourself uh, as it goes on. This is an interesting idea um, and I think it'll it'll be interesting in a lot of ways because if the World Cup does go ahead in Qatar in a few years' time, uh, we're looking at something that's going to make this break seem like a doddle for certain, you know, because basically we're going to have an African Cup of Nations like gap in the middle of the season. And you may as well get used to having these breaks in there now because they're going to get a lot longer in the next couple of years if we're not careful. But the whole thing with the injuries is a good point because like England in particular now have obviously got a Euros coming up uh, in the summer, but they're missing Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, uh, Raheem Sterling I think went down injured in the uh, the Tottenham game there against Man City. Uh, like, yeah. Obviously, it's still a few months away. Those players might make it back. Like they'll probably rush themselves to be fifth of the Euros, which is not great in itself. But like, there's still it's still just early February. There's still plenty of time for others to pick up injuries as well. And I suppose at the very least, this two week break might help those on the verge of an injury kind of rest up yeah. for the next couple of weeks. But like the FA Cup stuff is is an interesting point because like as you mentioned, Liverpool like it was. Last Sunday, after we recorded, that uh, Jurgen Klopp said he's not even going to attend the game himself against Shrewsbury, which I think is a bit weird. Like, I, I, he made the point that he'll be playing the under twenty three team, and they need their their coach uh, Neil Critchley, I think it is. But it mm. still seems a bit disingenuous to Shrewsbury themselves to uh, not even attend that game. Uh, Tottenham have yeah. a game against Southampton as well. Uh, both of those teams, I imagine, won't be very happy having to play that. And it's not like they'll need the extra bit of ticket revenue that someone like Shrewsbury will. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there, there, there's a two there's a two pronged issue going on here. One of this is the Klopp politician play, 
which is he made the point that, oh, the FA asked us not to go any trips at this time. They asked us not to arrange any friendlies and then they go and arrange a friendly in the middle of it or not a friendly, but a cup game in the middle of it. That could possibly happen. And I think it also ties back to what we were saying just there a second ago about the congestion at Christmas. Part of the congestion that's caused at Christmas is the fact that an FA Cup game was, what, three days after a full fixture of Premier League games and championship matches, which was also, I don't know, it's either... I don't think the FA, the Premier League certainly had nothing to do with that congestion, with that, that organising of fixtures, and I don't think they had much to do with the, F, the FA Cup replays, and they've organised this winter break, so I think there's a gap there going on, which is funny, because they both bear the name FA in the title, the FA Premier League and the FA Cup, uh, so that's that's one aspect of it. The, the other aspect of it, it is a bit, um, it is disrespectful to the Cup, but like, what is respectful to this cup at this point? They all put out reserved game teams in most in most of these games. The like, look at the teams that Liverpool have played so far. Like the two the two matches they played so far in the in the FA Cup, they both put out like very. You know what was the name of that fellow that scored in both matches? The uh, young guy, Curtis, I think. Yeah, like he'd never get near this Liverpool team. Not no matter how good of a player he is, because of the way they're playing at the moment. Um. So it's it's giving players opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise get, but at the same time, it's not fooling yourself that this is the first team Liverpool team. So not the first the first string Liverpool team that's playing. There's one other thing I'd like to say just on it as well is that when it comes to the FA Cup, when it comes to these to these matches and you say you made the point about oh Shrewsbury mattering more to Shrewsbury they didn't really they made a fair few changes in the in their match against Liverpool as well it's like they kind of want either to get the you know get lucky and get the another match in the FA Cup that would be bring break revenue to them or they want to get out of it as soon as possible so not to affect their league form like nobody actually wants to do well in this tournament overall like they'd all love to win it I'm, I'm absolutely certain of it. Liverpool would love to win it Klopp would love to win it but in reality, it's it's something that it's superfluous to them. It doesn't make them money. No, no, no one's really attached to it because it's not a realistic prospect for most of them. It's either, in Shrewsbury case, it's out of their reach no matter what happens. For Liverpool's case, they've got bigger fish to fry. And uh, you kind of find that same thing going all the way down the tables and all the divisions. Like It only really becomes important to a club when either they can't win the other trophies or... Yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> like, if they can't, if if their their place in the league is secure and they can't win any other trophies, it then it becomes a priority for them. But we, you know, it, it's been that way for Arsenal in recent years, for Manchester United in recent times, for Chelsea that second season under Conte, and you know, Shrewsbury getting the financial benefit of having a replay at home, getting another big match on television. I, you know, that that in itself kind of points to the larger problems in football finances out of the top division. Yeah, that's that's kind of the final point I wanted to make on this is like a lot of the arguments around the FA Cup is to do replays and a lot of managers obviously want to get rid of them uh, at all levels it seems except for at the lowest of levels at League 1 and League 2 because mm. obviously for these teams in League 1 and League 2 they get the financial reward of getting a draw and having to go from uh, go to a second match against the big side one of them at home one of them away like that's TV revenue that's uh, ticket receipts revenue but like at the same time, that's a literal look of the draw away to decide who gets the extra few bob, as it were, uh, which really doesn't seem like an adequate system to to basically fund the lower leagues so that the 
big leagues can have all that money. Like, they get so much money from revenue, and, like, this is the closest thing we get to kind of that trickle down of the pyramid that, uh, like, it's just not really acceptable. And it feels like there should be a solution there somewhere. Like, the, the as you mentioned, the FA are involved in both competitions. Obviously, they don't run the Premier League, but they should be able to get some kind of revenue off the team so they can use it for the FA Cup and give the team some kind of incentive. Yeah, like the, you'd think that they've brainstormed this at some point because in, certainly in my lifetime, the structure and the way that everything's done hasn't changed. The only thing that's really changed is there's no more replays in a semi-final and final level. That's about it. And, you know that's say you know replace the semi-final and final level they're actually they were more exciting generally speaking when they happened uh than the earlier rounds uh like i don't necessarily agree with scrapping replays altogether because sometimes they are a bit fun they add a bit of extra they can add a bit more romance to it they can add a bit more bite to, to matches sometimes and but yeah the 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 FA cup itself is calling out for a a reform like there's only so much like Budweiser branding or Emirates branding or whatever they're going to try next and the monies they're trying to try to bring in and the way they talk about the romance of the cup every few weeks we hear from from basically from January to May we hear about that constantly we yet nobody really cares about it and then like obviously there's the the league cup as well itself which now has two finalists uh aston villa and manchester city and it was kind of a, it was a fun moment when aston villa uh got that very very late winner against leicester in their semi-final at home it was uh trezeguet i think with the winner mm. uh 93rd 94th minute and obviously after the final whistle went like 30 seconds later everyone piled onto the pitch in celebration yeah. like that that was a big moment and like aston villa are a historic club and it is a a nice moment for them to get their match in Wembley but then the fact that they're playing Man City like it's hard not to just envisage uh, another FA Cup final against Watford scenario especially when you consider City beat them 6-1 just a few weeks ago in the league yeah. as well and if you remember the last Cup final they were in was with 4 was it 4-0 or did they get a goal in that match to make it 4-1 in the FA Cup uh, final I think, there. It was, I think it was only 4 it was 4-0 yeah I don't think they even scored against uh, yeah you Arsenal. see like bad memories and I know I don't know there's not many left from that Tim Sherwood era but yeah Villa are very like most of the teams in the Premier League this season Villa have varied in their form throughout like they're currently clear of the relegation zone if I'm if I'm remembering correctly I think they are uh but they're right in that mix I don't know is this an unwelcome distraction considering that they were you know were in for a tough game against who were they playing that weekend Sheffield United yeah they would have been playing Sheffield United otherwise yeah, which would have been, and now they have a break instead of that. So, or they have a break until there now, and then they'll have to redo that fixture some midweek in probably April, um, which probably will not be the most uh, enticing visit to have to, or the enticing match to have to play against the Sheffield United side, who could be on on the beach at that point. So maybe it will work in their favour. But Villa themselves, they have the capability to do this. They have some good players. They're well marshaled by. Uh, I've completely not Chris Wilder what's his name the uh, Aston Smith. Villa boss yeah Dean Smith they're well marshaled by him they they. I don't want to say they play expansive or good football but they play a very structured style of football that relies a lot on their creative, creative force and the likes of Jack Grealish and a bit of magic maybe from uh, Trezeguet or whoever they actually play that day they, they made some shrewd signings in the January window which I think we might come to later on in the show but I, I, yeah, you can see this is a. How would you say it? I imagine it's going to be a procession from Man City to the, to the League Cup this season, and that's would that be three consecutive League Cups for Pep? 
Yeah, for a man who despises the League Cup, he does love winning it. Uh, but well, the, he just the does the barest, yeah, the bare essentials to get through the tournament. Like he just, he doesn't want to win it, but he will just despite it. Uh, but the thing is, though, if they play like they did against Tottenham, or if they fail to finish their chances like they did against Tottenham today, then maybe Villa will have a chance because uh, Tottenham did beat Man City two 0 this weekend in in what was a ridiculous match. It was kind of. It was, nothing was really happening for half an hour and then suddenly everything started happening yeah. it was one of those weird games one of those ones where Mourinho had successfully killed the the game of football that was happening and then Serge Aurier's uh, galaxy brain decided to bring everything to life once again with uh, another penalty concession uh, I, I actually missed what was going on with VAR I heard a lot of complaints that it took so long but I, I literally zoned out for a couple of minutes and all I saw was <laughs> penalty given so to me, yeah. nothing happened. Uh, well, just just to summarise the match itself, uh, Spurs sat back with uh, they gave a, de- a debut to their to their PSV signing, who I cannot pronounce his name because I'm uh, so Bergwin. I'll let you Bergwin, who had a completely non nothing match except for ex- except for two moments, one when he scored a goal and the other when he got injured. Nothing else in the match apart from that, really. Um, what a goal though <laughs> it was a fantastic debut goal and it came from really nothing at all and it, it just killed the match really because then uh, nearly immediately after he got injured and uh, Mourinho used that opportunity City were just after having a man sent off as well for uh, yeah. one of their tactical fouls a double uh, whammy Z- and Zinchenko like, Mike, yeah. yeah Zinchenko Mike, he, who got booked in, in the original yellow card in the melee after the, the penalty was oh, saved yeah. Because he ran straight in and Alder Alder and it was a bit harsh to be to be honest that he, they were the two players singled out to be booked because everyone was involved in that. Uh, because Mourinho was trying to get was trying to get uh, Sterling booked in that melee to try and get him sent off. But uh, it's a I think surprise we've seen Mourinho. I think since two thousand four, the the video. Uh, any listeners have seen it? You, yeah, his assistant tells him, "Oh wait a minute, Sterling's already on a yellow card. We get him sent off here." They yeah. rocket off to this to the fourth yeah. official. Yeah, it's it's something that hasn't been too present so far in his reign as Spurs manager. He hasn't been. He is annoying the referees, but there isn't that uh, refaria, you know, uh, rotating fouls on the assistant referee. You know, going in and yelling at the referee at inter- intermittent moments between the the few assistants. Uh, the but Man City from from minute one, they just carved minute one to the minute ninety five when the match ended. They just carved. Uh, Tottenham up over and over again they just basically ran through the middle and had overlaps every single time and it really was down to just awful finishing from Man City they, they had there were some good moments when there was some great finishing and great chance creation Aguero had a very good match for the first half he should have had two goals because he hit the post and was uh, I don't know whether it was probably going to hit the post anyways like it, it, it touched Lloris the shot he had in the first half and apart from that he had a few other opportunities right at the, the end of the first half as well where he just kind of had an open goal and he kicked it wide it was a very weird finishing Kondongan missed the first penalty of his career and it was a bad penalty but there is the arguments made that Lloris was off his line and also that he fouled Serling in the aftermath like I, I, you've seen those type of penalties given and I think for the fact that it was a VAR penalty beforehand that's why it wasn't given again I think Mike Dean had a very indifferent match he, he continues to to kind of just not give things and then get pulled up by the system referee by the VAR referee but then the VAR referee is limited to what they can pull uh, players up on because there's a few instances where there was like fouls and 
like niggling challenges off the ball and stuff like that that weren't picked up by Mike Dean and they could have been yellow you know they could have been second bookable offences in in certain circumstances for both teams and Mike Dean kind of just let the play go because he's Mike Dean I think he liked a bit he liked a bit of the attention today like case in point is that penalty situation where you know uh, it was a a block I think from a sterling folly and then it went to De Bruyne and then back to Aguero and Aguero was pulling away from goal like he was going away from goal and for some bizarre region, Serge Aurier went in and took took him out basically with a, with a trip from the from behind, and it was it was it was a standard foul, like and it was in the box. It was a very silly thing to do, but Mike Dean was adamant that the that the he made the gesture to the round the round gesture to say that oh he got the ball he got the ball. Two and a half minutes passed before Mike Dean was eventually made to stop the match by the 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 vers- it was a video assistant referee the VAR. And that's when the penalty was given, and it kind of it sucked the momentum out of City. I think it took a lot of the wind out of their sails for the entire match. That that whole incident. If the penalty had just been given, I'd say, and there wasn't a two and a half plus another two minutes of build up towards it, I'd say Gundogan would have been less pressured to, to score it, and probably would have put it away, and it would have not resulted in Sinchenko getting a yellow card and everything that happened after that as well. So I think it was a it was a a match defining few minutes. Yeah, great example of the butterfly effect there, I guess. Mm. But uh, on the other hand, I think uh, maybe Man City deserved to lose based on the cowardice of their uh, penalty decision. Uh, the fact that they let Gundogan take it instead of Ederson, who Pep mentioned a few weeks ago might start taking penalties, is like, you know, let the goalkeeper take a couple. if uh, He might actually score them and they might actually well, win some games. It's looking like it because, well, I think this might be... Uh, like this goes back to Micah Richards during the week saying that Pep overthinks things and you know maybe that's a lot coming from Micah Richards but sometimes sometimes you think he maybe is overthinking it because you know he did have Messi at Barcelona he used to always miss penalties and it was like in his head type of way and he comes from the Johan Cruyff school of uh, penalty taking where Cruyff believed firmly that it, oh it's a lottery you never you, you you know you never know what could happen with a penalty and I'm sure Pep has echoed those talks thoughts in previous uh, post-match interviews after they've missed penalties and he'll do it again in the future I'm sure but the reality is you can get good at penalties you can practice penalties you can have a firm penalty taker and guess what sometimes your penalty taker misses penalties and in which case you 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 know you get them better you make sure they they go back and keep taking the penalties now so far this season I think Sterling has missed two Aguero's missed a couple uh has now missed uh, Gabriel Jesus has missed penalties this season like that's it's a bit crazy the amount of penalties they've been given first of all but then secondly the amount they've missed is is criminal and maybe it is time that Ederson gets given a chance otherwise I would just give it back to Aguero and Sterling to be the the firm penalty takers and stop messing yeah and then just with the fact that the Champions League is coming back in a few weeks like this is the kind of match that doesn't bode well for either of the teams that I watch play like Tottenham look like a team that could be carved open at will uh, especially against an RB Leipzig side who maybe might want to focus on the on the league title a bit more, but when you consider how poor Tottenham are, Leipzig might just fancy themselves enough to actually just go ahead and win it. Uh, and then, obviously, Real Madrid are the, the ultimate uh, side to fluke their way past a team like Tottenham kind of did today. So, like, that's the kind of game that could just... City could dominate, not finish their chances, and then end up losing 2-0 both sides, or in both legs. So uh, both teams definitely have work to do over the winter break because uh, Champions League comes back right after that. Mm. And it will be interesting to see if they if they do make any kind of changes. Like, I don't expect Ch- or Tottenham to make any changes the way they set up, but Pep might. 
uh, especially in a big game, uh, which the Madrid games will be. Uh, yeah, I just kind of want to emphasize uh, like that finish from Bergwijn was just incredible. Like he took it off <laughs> the chest and volleyed it. Like you don't see that. That was that was that was a sublime finish. And the one from Son, I guess, was was nice, even though it took a bit of a deflection. It took yeah. a deflection in, I think. Yeah, I think that's, Ed- Ederson uh... not not covering himself in glory, but I suppose with the deflection, you can kind of maybe give it to him. Yeah. Oh yeah, you definitely give him the goal, and he took the shot on it. But it was, uh, I, as it turned out, it wouldn't have mattered in the end. But uh, it was a nice uh, icing on the take, cake for Spurs. I didn't expect him to do it, to be honest. And I did, but then again, City kind of get these into these uh, spirals sometimes, and Pep Guardiola sides do as well, where they have a bad week and they lose the ma- lose two or three matches in a row. And they've done. They did it. Was it Norwich and Crystal Palace? They did last season against Crystal Palace and Leicester. They're doing it again now, um, and like I fully expect them to come back next week and, and do the business. But yeah, it's it, it's quite disappointing from their point of view, and it's quite it's it's a worrying trend. Uh, and then uh, with Chelsea in their pursuit of the top four, they have the gap cut down to four points between them and fifth now, which I think is, is Tottenham. Uh, Sheffield yeah. United also closed the gap to five points as well, which is crazy to even think about the thought of. Sheffield United in the Champions League next season, as much as I'd love it, I don't think they'll do it. But no, Caballero, I don't think it's uh, Caballero and goals for Chelsea, they dropped the most expensive goalkeeper in the world. And then Caballero didn't cover himself in glory for the second goal where he runs out and then runs back in very quickly and isn't set to try to save the shot from, I think it was Ben Chilwell that converted the second goal. Yeah. Uh, just a, a bad day at the office for Chelsea. They, you know, two fantastic header, headers from Rudiger. Uh, aside like that it was a poor performance even at 1-0 up they looked like they weren't going to win they they haven't been winning games for a while now like it is they, it's the fact that they won they won like seven games in a row in all competitions at the start of the season like that those yeah. seven games are really helping them get through the rest of the season uh, on autopilot it seems like because teams just seem to have I don't know, has it figured them out or is our players tired or what? Maybe they'll benefit the most from this winter break. Uh, but it, it just, this is the kind of match that really highlights, like, and we'll get onto it in, later about the transfer window, but it really highlights just how poorly they've done in January. Like, you know, if they were thinking of dropping Kepa, like, you know, why not just try bring in someone in January to replace them? Yeah. Uh, well, they brought in nobody as it turned out, but we, I suppose we will come to that later on. But, with Chelsea, like in this match particularly, I thought it was Leicester that threw away the the points because they really could have could have had this match once it was two all. I thought they were the better side. I, I I get also that the feeling that with Leicester they run out of steam as well. Like, it seems to be, and it's probably something we can't analyze until the end of the season for sure. But because everyone is so close in quality, overall quality, like there's no. Bar Liverpool, obviously, there is no truly outstanding teams like a Man City have the have the potential to do that, but and they can show in moments, but they have managed to consistently do it this season. But outside of those two teams, you there's no one that really is outstanding, and it's it's because of that everyone's kind of cancelling each other out. There's a stalemate throughout the league. That's why we're seeing so many draws. Like we saw multiple draws this weekend because a lot of teams of similar quality were playing each other. You saw Burnley Arsenal. You saw uh, Manchester United and Wolves. You saw. Chelsea and uh, and Leicester, you know, teams that are quite close to each other in the league, all drawing with them and all being like, oh, well, nobody was really good enough to win this match. 
when it comes to Chelsea, like I don't know, I looked at a few of their the, the stats they've been having and I liked the way they played earlier in the season as I talked but I liked how Frank Lampard seemed to have set them up they to, to play to their strengths and they weren't they weren't a lot of the young players weren't overawed by the situation but then the way he kind of manages things politically I'm not really sure about because the you know he 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 he's probably too honest or or at least he's trying to be too honest at times by calling out his team calling out his players sometimes and saying they're not good enough but then the, in the same breath he says how great they are so the players don't know whether they're being told that they're crap or being told that they're great and keep going and don't worry about these blips in form uh, the fact that he chased centre forwards over Tammy Abraham that the other Olivier Giroud was for sale to whoever wanted him if, if someone could stump up the money uh, that there was other players in the team that were surplus to requirements and they were open to let them out on loan and they let some of the younger players who had played earlier in the season out on loan and you're like what's going on at Chelsea? Yeah like the, it's it's so baffling like in uh, like it's the fact that they didn't buy anyone at all in January that really stands out to me like this and like obviously Leicester are a good side but at the same time their previous results leading up to this match never gave me the confidence that they could get a result like a win at Leicester like obviously a draw like it's at this stage where a draw away at Leicester is a good result for Chelsea like they should be happy they got this two all draw like I think it was Harvey Barnes late in this game that missed uh, uh, an amazing chance Verdi set him up with a beautiful pass and mm. uh, he just slid it wide um, that was that was very late in the game it was about 85th 86th minute that and uh, it, it like it's, it says a lot that Rudiger was their only real threat in this match of scoring you know I mentioned Mason Mount who I think has only not played once this season uh, like he's a guy that desperately needs this two week break um, maybe even more than that uh, like a lot of the, a lot of these players have played a lot of minutes uh, and a lot of these players are obviously they've got the young players but some of these players are actually quite old like you look at Cesar Azpilicueta William Pedro played this game uh, even players like Jorginho and, and uh, Kovacic they, they can't really rely, be relied on to run very much while Kante can even though he's been mm. not really that fit this season and it, it's just I think it's another game as well where they've not won with Kante in the side like uh, I don't know is it becoming a coincidence or is it a sign that he's not really set up in the system well enough but they have a terrible win record with Kante in the side this season obviously it's a low sample size but, but I'd be wondering I'd, I'd like to see them play without Kante a couple times after the break to see if that maybe changes things around because obviously he's a fantastic player but I don't know how much he actually suits playing in this Chelsea team like he almost needs to he needs to be in an underdog kind of team uh, yeah. which this Chelsea team isn't uh, so well they could like I don't want to judge Kante that much because I think there's been other players that have kind of been missing like obviously Hudson Adoy was gone for a long time and so Pulisic has been gone for I don't know how long he's been out now but it's been it felt like ages and whether those two players at like Hudson Doy's back, but whether he's back up to, to full match fitness yet is, is another question. And if Pulisic comes back in, and the, the kind of that triumphant up front of Pulisic, Hudson Doy, and Abraham could actually do something with the amount of pace and trickery they have. I, I'd be interested to see that and how it would work with Kante as a linchpin player because I, like Jorginho I feel also slows down the game as well in a different way or shuts off the game in a different way that it kind of breaks the flow of play but 
yeah, I'm not from earlier in the season when it was quite clear what Lampard was trying to do. I think in terms of play this counter-attacking quick game and play solid defensively and really work to the players he had strengths. Uh, I don't know what he's doing now. He's kind of doubling back on things. He's changing up formations. You know, they haven't been punished, and there hasn't been a huge, you know, bout of consequences for them for these in this turbulent times. They're still somehow in the top four without like barely winning a match in the last three months, and they're still up there, which is something to probably celebrate for them, but it's to bemoan for the rest of the league. Um, but we'll see how it goes the rest of the season. He's not going to get sacked anytime soon, so. He's got more time. We'll grow that sample size to see if it gets any better. Yeah, and then obviously you mentioned Arsenal drew again. It's four draws in a row. This yeah, uh, four draws in a row in the league now. Nil uh, nil with Burnley away, and they they didn't even look like the team that were going to grab this game and win it either, uh, which is kind of mad to think about. Uh, they're level on points now with Burnley. They're only seven points yeah. off the relegation zone. Like I know it's mad to say, but could Unai Emery have actually relegated this Arsenal team? I well, that was the re- risk at the time. Like, uh, I think Arteta coming in has got a response out of this team. I think Gumber got a bit of a response, but it didn't lead to too much. He kind of just stopped them losing as much. Uh, but yeah, I think Emery really could have got them sold down the river. Like, they they have injury problems, which are telling, and especially in in various uh, build up areas because. Uh, Saka, an 18-year-old winger who was playing left-back and has been for the last few weeks, got a hip injury in the first half an hour of the match, played on into the second half, but was really not functioning very well. And that was the play-out. He was the white, he was the outball for a lot of their game. Like they were, uh, He was to run left and overdo a, do an overload really on the left-hand side with, with uh, Aubameyang. And when he kind of got injured in the first half an hour, that was the end of our Arsenal's attacking prowess like they had a lot of the ball a lot of possession but I think Burnley had the best of the chances and that's something that's a bit worrying for Mikel Arteta as he you know he basically made uh, auxiliary signings during the transfer window which just brought in defensive cover which they do need because the, the the injury record they've had in the last two months and the fact that players are playing injured even like they, he's resorted to playing Mustafi and Mustafi got injured in the last match they played and he's still there because they had nobody else to actually play uh, so which uh, which correct, is a kind of go on. Correct me if I'm wrong, but have Arsenal's last three league games come from three different managers. Three league wins. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, probably. I yeah, I think Lumberg yeah. only won. Did Lumberg only win one match? I'm pretty sure he only won one match, and Arteta's only won the one match as well. So yeah, th- yeah, that's I, actually crazy. I only just thought of that there. Like that's crazy. They've only yeah. won six games this season. Twenty five games. Like that's that's mad. But they've on the, drawn on the flip a, side, yeah, they've only yeah. lost about five. But yeah, yeah how many draws they have again? Matches that that'd be yeah, fourteen then I think like that's which is that's a ridiculous number. That uh, um, they are on thirteen 13. draws at the moment. Like, that is, I, I won't, I won't crazy. be back against them getting to fourteen. Don't worry. Yeah, the fourteen soon as well. Um, <laughs> I suppose it'll take a little bit longer because they have this two weeks off. Yeah, <laughs> we but they're also about, the, yeah. There's like, a lot of problems team, with our yeah. For a team, yeah, like uh, there are a lot of problems. Like for a team that they can't have score, such yeah, for for a team that have such a an attacking threat going forward, they they don't score a lot of goals. Like no, no, it's Burnley. Like they're the kind of side Arsenal should be getting at least one goal against. Uh, like they, when was the last time? Like I can't remember their their recent results now because the whole FA Cup. But like the Manchester United they, match was the last good have, performance, really. Yeah, and, and that was five that, matches. Like, they got the, yeah. like 
even in the two-all draw against Chelsea, they scored twice, but they had two shots that whole game. Like, sure, they were yeah. down to 10 men, but, like, this is a team that should, with the amount of money they've spent on attacking players and the talent that they have, should be scoring more goals. And, obviously, they are calamitous in defence. Like, it's just... It is a recipe for disaster, I suppose, mm. and that's that's what this season has been. And it's it is crazy that they're that close to relegation zone. Obviously, I don't think they're in danger of getting relegated anytime soon. No, still seven points is that's dangerous. Like it could maybe a couple of defeats here and here or there against certain teams, and they will actually be in a in a bit of a dogfight. And then we'll really see what our Ted is made of. But it, it, yeah. I do find it hard to judge him so far. Like we did kind of talk about this last week as well, because like. He is trying out a few things with a few of the kids, like Joe Willock came on, Saka you mentioned, Reese Nelson's been playing. Eddie and Ketia, yeah. Uh, yeah, and Ketia was kept uh, after he was recalled from loan. He didn't go back out anywhere. So, like, he is trying with the kids, and I yeah. do commend him for that. But then, on the flip side, like, the defence is just so calamitous. Like, yeah. they do they do have injuries. Like, it is, as you say, Saka playing well, they can't go. They, can't, they haven't managed to go one match. They haven't managed to go one match under Arteta without getting a defensive injury, which is like that's, that's, I that's think, crazy, yeah. Yeah, so in every single match, they're having someone have to be taken off because of injury. Not even just, oh, they pick it up to knock and they've they've had like had to have a few days off from training. They have to come off the match and they miss a couple of matches as a result of it, which it's unfortunate, but this stuff happens, especially if they're pushed too hard. The, the trend so far with Arsenal has been they start hard, they start fast, which they did against Burnley. They had chances. If they don't take them early, they kind of run out of steam, and that's, that comes into not putting away matches, not scoring enough goals, and they grow tired as the, as the game goes on. It goes back to Emery's conditioning, and whether it was done correctly earlier in the season or in the in the preseason, it goes back to, again, they spent a lot of money, but did they spend it in the right places? As a result of them spending a lot of money, they've been unable to sign other players where they might have needed them for less money. They've had to sell to buy and they still struggle to sell a lot of the players they have. You have another issue as well, which is the Lacazette and Ozil issue with two players who cannot string together an away performance between them. Lacazette's been over a year since he scored a goal away from home. Uh, Ozil's been two years since he got an assist away from home. And both players played today and both players were below par, you'd have to say. And then you're like, I know Arteta has to use them because he's got nobody else really in in those areas. So he and you say he's a wealth of talent, but they they are missing players, attacking players as well that keep getting injured or knocks or not playing well enough. I think to to merit a place. And when you don't have anybody else, you're kind of reliant on these guys that haven't performed for such a long time, and it kind of the the veneer of having these good names on paper kind of wears off as you see them play. But they do need to win a game, like, at some point. Yeah, they do, they do. But, like, maybe, as we were talking about the break coming up, uh, maybe they'll get a, they'll get some kind of new lease of life on the way back. But at the same time, maybe Arteta is like, OK, I'm going to just be doing solid training matches, effectively. That's the Premier League between now and the end of the season. He do, He obviously doesn't think... Well, I don't think he doesn't think they can finish in the top four because... They're only 10 points off it and they're only 6 points off Spurs who are in 5th and they're definitely in the shout for that but that's 2 matches and they, they do play each other soon enough but yeah I, I think the, the Champions League European places both seems to have sailed and I think he might be focusing on the cup competitions particularly the Europa League to try and salvage something from this season and maybe you'll see a, a kind of a different approach taken in those matches. 
Well, Tim, uh, that looked pretty good for you for quite a long time out there today. You, you must feel as if someone's just given you a hefty punch in the stomach. Yeah. I ain't never felt this bad either. The January transfer window has now officially closed. Excuse me, it's slammed shut, actually. Uh, in comparison to previous seasons, it wasn't the most exhilarating of transfer windows. What didn't happen and what did happen are equally noteworthy, as no huge signings were made, but still plenty of talking points to discuss. So, where to begin? Who won January and who lost? Um, yeah, like, I, I saw, I read a few pieces this weekend, and they were saying, oh, it was a very intriguing January transfer window, and I thought, there was nothing of intrigue, really. You're looking at, like, people clutching at straws. Like, I'm looking at your man at West Ham that they got from Leeds. What's his name? Um... Uh, Jared, uh, no, Jared Bowen was from Hull. Hull, sorry, from same area, same neck of the woods. So yeah. he's up. Uh, yeah, I was looking at him, and he's highly rated. But again, when's the last time someone from the Championship has been signed into a Premier League side and taken off? Like I'm thinking back to Robbie Earnshaw back about ten, twelve years ago. At this point, when West Brom signed him, and that wasn't, uh, you know, that end didn't end particularly well at the end of it. Um, and West Ham is kind of the touch of death as well about them like and the day they touch just withers away like i'd be concerned about his development now just because it's west ham and there's a funny story there where he was uh that that transfer was a weird one as well because he initially agreed or hull initially agreed a fee with palace and Mm. then west ham stepped in obviously they must have been monitoring him and were deciding to try go for him in the summer but obviously a team came in and they're like oh no we need to go for him now yeah uh but then they they took ages to negotiate personal terms with him and then halfway through the negotiation he just went oh no actually i want to go to newcastle and then newcastle were like we didn't bid for you like we don't (laughs) want you so like that was a really weird one and who chooses Newcastle to go to? Like, well, well he might clubs. be from there. It's closer to home. You know, it's definitely closer to Leeds Hall area up in Newcastle. And maybe he thought they were going in the right direction. Yeah, they're less likely to go down the way things are going. West Ham are in the relegation zone after all. West Ham also brought back Darren Randolph, so that's good to see. Yeah, if he gets fit and can come into the side. Thomas Suchek, I think is how you pronounce it. He's a defensive midfielder from Slavia Prague. Uh, that they brought in on loan Champions League experience you know <laughs> yeah uh, you know they did draw with Itch Milan this season you know yeah. they are the specialists of reject Premier League players yeah so but, like the, my, Itch Milan are really the most interesting side of this transfer window well yeah probably and Milan trying to sign players from Wigan also was a was a turn up for the books uh, <laughs> yeah, and then he failed a medical yeah that was crazy yeah a bit, a bit unfortunate he, no he didn't fail the medical it was like taking too long and there was, it was the transfer window in Italy has ends like three hours earlier so it was it was a bizarre thing they probably will go back from in the summer but yeah a bizarre thing uh, like but then just to go to I suppose the big clubs first is where we should start like I, I think the obvious winners of this window are, are Liverpool just because they didn't really have much to do they're, like, they're so far ahead that I don't see any way in which they can lose at this point they were able to bring in a, a handy squad player for only £7 million pounds, uh, a player who's got Champions League experience as well and Minamino yeah he was very uh, good he'll probably he'll yeah. probably come on and over the years and end up being a quality player like as well. well we'll probably look back at him in a few years and think wow seven million for him well i'm not sure if they will because they you know he he also smells a bit of the whole uh markovic remember markovic lazar markovic they signed i'm not sure about him but he did play very well for 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 salzburg rather in the champions league i was very impressed with him and how he linked up with uh 
Eric, uh, then ha- how do you say his name there? Then Erling Holland. Erling Holland. Sorry, I was going to Den Hag, the Not Ajax Den manager. Hag, yeah, <laughs> they've merged into one person in my brain. But like he did play very well for them, and he was a, he was a roving, speedy player. More, I'd say more somewhere between uh, Sadio Mane and uh, Oxley Chamberlain. I think that's the the guys they're going for. Uh, I've been surprised that he hasn't been integrated a bit more yet. He hasn't even been kind of. Uh, they haven't really given him much of a shot. I think he might be a while before he's ready for it. Might be a signing for the future, as you're saying. Klopp has taken a while with players to to bed them in. Like Fabinho took four or five months to even get in the squad half the time. Yeah, um, Keita still as well. haven't really seen Keita. Yeah, he's in and out of the team all, still. Yeah, a year and a half later. So like Klopp does tend to take his time. As Adam Lallana seven million. Adam Lana, who will probably leave Liverpool having been in and out of the side the whole time. Yeah, he's still there. Uh, he's still there. Yeah, he's still still on the bench. Comes about. Yeah, I see him warming up every now and up. again. Uh, at least he doesn't have that terrible haircut anymore, as far as I remember. Yeah. Uh, but then I think in terms of losers, like it's there's plenty of losers to choose, to choose from. Yeah. Well, like let let let's let's give a few of the 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 uh, honorable mentions. I think Arsenal did okay in the in the in the window. We said earlier in the show they basically just signed auxiliary reserve players to kind of give the pad out the squad, given that they've had so many injuries in defence. So they got considering Cedric's... they don't really have the money to no to, to correct, bring in yeah. players either. Like to, they they were both loan signings, uh, loan deals. I think yeah, optioned by in one case, and his contract runs out at the end of the season in another. Yeah. So Cedric Suarez from Southampton Premier League experience will be a good reserve right back for a team that keeps losing defenders. Pablo Mari, Matthew Debushi. Yes, uh, that's probably a fairly good uh, approximation of the man. He's out injured as well as just classic Arsenal signing. Uh, Kim Castro. Yes, exactly. Pablo Mari was highly rated at Man City for a while when he was out there. He's had a kind of a, a journeyman career and ended up in Flamingo, but did well. Obviously, Flamingo under George Jesus. Got to the won the Copa Libertadores and you know the, the Club World Cup and everything like that, so he could be a good auxiliary player. Aston Villa made a lot of moves. They got Pepe Reina, which I did like the side of. Like Pepe Reina's gone to Aston Villa. That's one that kind of slipped under the radar. Dan Drinkwater, you no know, much needed experience. Dan Drinkwater and, had that that terrible game against uh, Man City there mid mid January where he was yeah. in fault for like the first three goals or something before they took him off. Yeah, but it was Man City. Like it's not a match they were expected to win anyway. Um, Crystal Palace as well. We were talking about them earlier. They kind of they signed Czech Tolson. He has had a an impact of some sorts at the team. He, Got he's a goal another, against Man City. He did, <laughs> and it's another option for them up front, which they're kind of limited by, and their form has kind of dipped dramatically. Um, I'm looking well. It's like Leicester kind of got rid of a few of their old guard. A few more of them have gone. Like Andy King has gone to Hunters- Huddersfield. Another one of the Premier League winners is off. Um, and they've signed Ryan Benedict from Wolves, who's defensive cover, which is something I think it's cost Leicester in the last couple of uh, probably the last couple of months. Really, when they've kind of got all very shaky, uh, when they were like close enough to getting to like second place really and, and cementing second place as their own but that's kind of fell fell by the wayside um the other team that kind of brought in a lot of players was Sheffield United which you know sometimes you look at that as a bit of a worry but they got Jack Rodwell which I think is a fun one he was training with them for some time they they ended up buying one of the mo- more expensive players in this window as well and Sander Berg from I think it was Genk it's a great name Sander Berg it great is name. it rolls right off the tongue uh, yeah he he was linked to Man United suddenly and then suddenly because he's he Norwegian. Was weird. Yeah. 
It's just because no, he's Norwegian. I, yeah. I, I only saw the part where he wasn't a Man United player, but people had apparently been saying that he'd already signed for the club, and then suddenly, like, and people hadn't even heard of him. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, and now he is obviously a Sheffield United player. The wrong, the better United, uh, according to the league table. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that that's he was being tracked by Napoli uh, closely, and they were going to get him at the end of the season, apparently. And Liverpool previously had a look at him a couple of years ago, but uh, that never came to be. Uh, one of the teams that I think actually have, have made some interesting signings is Brighton. Uh, they obviously confirmed the the deal with Aaron Moy. Uh, yeah, at long last. They, they've exercised that option for $5 million, which is a pretty good fee, considering how good he's been for them, how uh, how instrumental he's been, been in all yeah. their good performances. And then Tarek Lamptey, the, the Chelsea Academy right-back that came on against Arsenal when they beat Arsenal at the Emirates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he played quite well in that game. Uh, they got him for a fee believed to be around three to six million, which uh, could end up being quite the bargain, because uh, like it obviously is all potential, but mm. with um, what's his name and ma- as manager Graham Potter as manager, like you you trust him to to do something with them and might give uh, Brighton that bit, that that extra dimension maybe to keep them up or might give them yeah an option, an option on the, uh, the overlapping wide players to try and get those crosses in for their big players up front like Len Murray who's who scoring again at the weekend that was one of the weird and I think we probably could move on to the losers of this Tarek Lamptey was one of the weird signings like Chelsea got rid of a lot of players again considering they didn't sign anybody they had a transfer ban they had put a lot of effort into developing the youth in the, or talking about developing the youth the last six months and then they go and they get rid of one of their probably I wouldn't call him a success story because he's only like played a, like a certain amount of minutes a season but certainly when he's played he's done well he hasn't really been overawed by the situation and they just offload him immediately it's bizarre yeah and- and you mentioned the transfer ban like pre-January they had actually spent quite a lot of money on legal fees to uh, get rid of the transfer ban or appeal the transfer ban so that it was uplifted uh, by, or it was lifted rather by the time it got to January and then with all that they ended up buying absolutely no one uh, it was mm. basically a self-imposed it was like they decided to just respect it anyway despite yeah. getting rid of it it was like the moral like of weird... the story is that we want to be yeah. banned anyway <laughs> Yeah, it was like a weird moral high ground that they decided to take for really no reason. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Giroud, they tried to give to anyone that would take him, uh, and apparently no one would, uh, slash he wouldn't go there. <laughs> like, Giroud decided to give himself some standards, which I suppose is fair enough. Yeah, well, he's also uh, on immense probably money end up in as the well. the French team anyway. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, and he, yeah, he's got a good salary there, obviously, as well. Uh, Victor Moses was a bit of a weird, yeah, weird one to go to well, another one. Conte's getting the team back together. He's getting the band back <laughs> he together. He really is. But like they'd already signed Ashley Young. Like how like they they can't be that dissimilar really for Conte. Well, at the very least. they're both players that are probably past their prime years, and maybe you can intermix them, play them one, like do the Pochettino thing of playing them and inter one match on, one match off. You run them into the ground and you take them off and you put on the other one. Like it is Chelsea that I would say are the biggest losers of of this giant transfer window, just because like you know going into January they were crying out for signings and then they were looking at positions that they didn't actually need signings in, like striker, mm. and then they didn't sign anyone at all in the end. Like it just seems baffling, and Frank Lampard doesn't seem happy. He's not even doing his whole routine where he gives the joke and then he laughs and then he says no, but seriously, uh, in his press conferences he's just going straight to the no, but seriously these days. Uh, which is worrying signs for his mental health, I would say. Uh, 
like it just like it just poses the question again at Chelsea like what's going on at that club like how much does Abramovich care how much are they actually willing to spend these days like uh, a lot of question marks over over his ownership and and everything going on at the background of that club yeah yeah they're they are a strange club that's for sure uh, and then I think another one of the big losers is Man City. Uh, you know, you brought this up during the week when we were talking. Like, you know, we we've said that they are missing Laporte. Obviously, he's back now. Uh, you know, Leo well, he's Stanley not fit though. Awesome. He's not fit. He, yeah, he. That's true. He, he's back in training. He's not quite in in the t- team yet. And same with Leroy Sané. But even just the fact that you know they could get injured again, someone else might get injured. Yep. Like they. They lack options, uh, which seems crazy considering how much money they have spent over the years. And even just under Pep in the last couple of years, they've spent a lot of money to have such a threadbare squad. Threadbare, is that the word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah that that's, sounds wrong to me for some reason. But yeah, they, you know, they, they, they just seem to be completely mismanaging the side over the last six to eight months, which is really... Uh, baffling again as well because of how well run they seemed just a year ago. It seemed like they had the whole thing planned out. They were going to win the league title for the next X amount of years and mm. suddenly they're 22 points adrift of Liverpool who look unstoppable. And they but just Liverpool have won all up. but one match this season. So Yeah, but like Man City were, did that last two seasons ago themselves. Like This is a team that set that standard that Liverpool are matching at the moment yeah. just slightly edging out. Like we were expecting the title race to be like this, that it would continue on from last season, and that both teams would just march their way towards a ridiculous points total. Like mm. I think we were hopeful that they'd maybe hit the eighty point mark instead of the hundred point mark, just because we want the competitive levels of this league to narrow instead of widen, or it, we want the gap, I suppose, to to narrow between first and last, I suppose. Yeah, but. Instead, we're just seeing Liverpool march off into the sunset by themselves, and Man City have really been caught with their pants down. And January was their chance to kind of strengthen, especially when you consider like the Champions League is really all that their season lies on now. And based on this, and based on their performances, I, I don't like they might beat Real Madrid. I think that's a very big fifty-fifty. But if they do get through Real Madrid, I, I don't see them getting that much further. Yeah. Uh, so I think this is a big wasted opportunity for them. Well, they could have. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not as harsh as you on them in the, in this regard. Like, I think maybe it could be said that they, ha- they have held everything up and said, okay, this is the last chance with this squad, and we'll go at this before we start the rebuild. We don't want to waste money on any possible you know, dud players or we want to keep our targets to the summer because they often say if you do, the more business to do you do in January, the more it shows how wrong everything is going. And maybe Pep wanted to keep the squad he had coming together. Maybe he does want to promote from the youth, which I, is, is laughable even to think about. But, you know, Phil Foden is still there. Uh, your man Garcia is still there. They get the odd minutes here and there. Um, he maybe wants to see if these guys can do anything out of it and... Like, the league obviously is gone. The Champions League is there. Real Madrid are top of the league in Spain. Maybe they're going to focus on that more than the Champions League when it comes back around. Uh, I don't know. Zidane loves winning the Champions League, as we all well know. Uh, But, like, I would still feel that Man City are a superior team to Real Madrid at the moment, and I think I would have them favourites in that. And once you're in the quarterfinals, anything can happen in the Champions League, as we well know. Like, we've had Ajax, Roma, uh, Liverpool, obviously, in recent years alone. Atletico Madrid, a few years ago, were ever expected to get far, and they got to two finals 
Um, these are surprising, you know, a surprising team can pull through it, and it all happens from the quarterfinals on, really. And if some, you know, even though history would tell us that any team that comes up against Real Madrid generally is going to lose to Real Madrid because Real Madrid are jammy in that way and they just kind of go through to win the thing every time, um, I would still have them as the favourite team in that match. And, you know, Man City are looking at it, they're still playing quite well, they're very susceptible counter attacks. I think that'll improve when they have Laporte back in the squad in the next month or so. It'll improve when they have Fernandinho back in midfield rather than defence. It'll improve as, you know, Sinchenko, you know, he did get... You know, bad things happen for Sinchenko this weekend. But he did, he has been playing well. He's a good tackler of the ball. Sure, he, you know, is a bit possessionally naive still. But the other parts of his game are still excellent, I think. And uh, I think now that they're all coming back into fitness, it could be a good run for, for Pep and Man City if they get the right draw in the Champions League. But yeah, I know what you're saying. The the transfer dealings do seem a bit suspect. Usually they do make at least one signing at Christmas and it's it's funny that they didn't this year. Um Yeah. I don't I don't know. I don't know what 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 leads into the future for them. I I feel there must be a rebuild coming because this side has been going on for some time now. Yeah, like there has been talk from uh, I think Sam Lee specifically has said that you know that that's a real possibility in the summer, mm. uh, and then with Tottenham as well, their opponents this weekend they obviously Steve Bergwine I think it's Bergwine maybe it's Bergwine I'm not sure Dutch is a weird language why uh, uh, why is I isn't it J is they just like random J's yeah. in and around the places as Matthias would uh, would test to yes uh but they brought him in he, he obviously had, a, had that fantastic goal on his debut you obviously uh talked about the rest of his performance earlier uh and it, it, like not really the type of signing that i think they really needed especially with harry kane out for the rest of the season they they were looking at striker options and settling on buying no one or even loaning no one it seems like an, an odd choice but uh, I suppose loaning Odin Agallo is uh, another odd choice, and that is bringing a body in. So it, it was a weird January transfer window, is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Manchester United. Like, <laughs> like they, um, they are a funny, 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 funny club. They were linked to it. Uh, how many was it? It wasn't them that were linked with 123 different players in January. I, th- I saw the figure of 113 113 apologies about, and uh, they, some of them had like yeah. proper sources behind them and United were interested in them they were just kind of it was as if like they were machine gunning players you know they were just Josh King Josh King like I get that he's both Norwegian and a former Man United youth prospect but it seems like that's that shouldn't be enough to qualify you to be linked with Manchester well, United these days like, everyone or ever what was the name of that player for Sheffield United again with the cool name Sanderberg. Sanderberg, you know, he was linked as well last minute, as you said. They did get rid of some players, you know. They, well, basically, uh, Ashley Young. <laughs> uh, Ash- Ashley Young, like they did. Marcus Rojo, you know, at lo- a long Marcus last, Rowe. he's gone. Bortwick, uh, Bortwick Jackson gone is gone to Oldham as well, which I thought was a... That's a s- well, he was... He was recalled from loan. He seems to go on two loans every, every season for whatever reason. Because I remember he went off to Leeds one year and then he ended up going somewhere else again. Maybe he was even a division down yeah that, well that's where he was he was at Scunthorpe and then he he went to Tranmere earlier this season he played only five matches and then he's old he's 23 now like it's a bit worrying for that yeah. guy <laughs> you know he probably needs yeah, to get he, out of Manchester United 
Probably, I, I imagine his contract runs out pretty soon. But it was just—it uh, was a blast from the past seeing his name there. Like Odeon and Gallo, yeah, Gallo was—it was a very weird move. I don't know if there's any health restrictions regarding him playing in the next few weeks as well. That would be. Well, Man United themselves don't play for another two, two and a bit weeks. So at the very least, they have that in their back pocket if they do need to keep him in incubation. Yeah, which it's it's possible. Um, like they've had to bring people back from regions and uh, store them in uh, quarantine for two for 14 days uh, so that could well happen to the guy uh, presuming he can get to the UK okay because I think all this all the stuff is done over in China so I think uh, I think he was on a plane over to the UK I don't know if he's landed yet or not but I think he is on his way yeah. uh, at the very least like uh, if not already landed what do Europe. you think about Bruno Fernandes like uh, the money could potentially raise to a lot uh like I, I don't see a reason. Like it's the kind of it's the kind of figure where if it gets to the maximum, then it's probably ended up being a good signing because it's like fifteen million if he finishes on the Ballon d'Or shortlist, which well, the Ballon d'Or shortlist usually has like thirty eight players on it. Yeah, but like you need to be somewhat good to get on that, especially if you are like a random Portuguese midfielder mm. uh, who plays for a Europa League team, uh, which is what Man United are at the moment. I I like. He played that game against Wolves. Like it's hard to really judge him off one game, but yeah. I think it says a lot that he was able to just be thrown in against Wolves, and he didn't. He didn't really seem out of his depth. Well, he's at all. yeah. Like, well, he's a professional player, footballer playing for a decent side in Portugal that plays in Europe. You know, he's not. But like he's not coming from Southampton. Like he wasn't able to just be thrown in immediately to Liverpool. Like he used to be bed in. He used to learn how to play the game. He used to figure out the system. He used to build up a, a camaraderie with his teammates. Whereas Bruno Fernandez is like, oh, I just yeah. But does that show the desperation there, of one club versus the other? It, it does. Like and it shows the lack of preparedness for one club yeah. over the other. And like uh, the initial fee is, I think, forty-seven million pounds, or at least that's what it's been reported yeah. as. Which you know, it's cheaper than Fred, which I suppose is something like silver that's linings, the standard you know, silver linings. Uh, like against Wolves, I don't think he was. I don't think he was bad. Like I think he had a like one of those performances that Paul Pogba has had over the years, where like he does look like the only player he'll do something, but it it's hard to see him actually doing something. Mm. Uh, like when you look at the players he was with, like Andreas Pereira, uh, we have not really said much about him, but I, what a dreadful player he is. Uh, Jesse Lingard like I know he's got stuff going on in his life and confidence is obviously an issue but like it's hard to see a reason why he should be playing games for Man United anymore like at the very least for the rest of the season uh, give him a break maybe let him sort out his life and go on and move on and do something he has got Mina Royola as, as his agent now as well so maybe he is looking to move out of that club uh, like I, like, I feel bad for a lot of the players at Man United that do have talent, that do look like they could be quite good, but it's just what they're working with, the manager they're working under. Like, like it's they're like a they're like a big West Ham in a way. Like you know, we laugh about Jared Bowden earlier going to West Ham, and it's probably the kiss of death for him. But Bruno Fernandez, like this seems like a kiss of death for him as well. Like. Going to Man United, that's where yeah, that's where talent goes to <laughs> where die. Ambition really. goes to die. Yeah, look at it. He does remind me a lot of some hybrid between uh, Angel Di Maria and uh, Juan Mata, which is a bit worrying on both fronts, considering what's happened, what happened to their careers in Manchester United. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I worry about him that because he doesn't have uh, in the current set of Manchester United of bypassing the midfield. 
and going long to the wingers and the attacking players who have pace and speed. He isn't that kind of player. So it could be great. It could be that, you know, maybe Solskjaer's actually got a plan now and he's going to start instilling it and he's the first piece of the puzzle. But at the moment, playing uh, Matic and uh, Fred as holding midfielders and who are just spreading balls whenever they get them from the, the, the full-backs or from the centre-backs full forward into the attacking players who are not in form, i.e. Martial and Lingard, among other players. Um, yeah, like, that that was the thing as well. Like, Martial had a dreadful game, like, uh, not to kind of go on a tangent from your point. But Link, did Lingard like, get any better? Like, it was... Uh, Link, Link, like, there was... Uh, I saw a clip there uh, from the game where uh, Bruno Fernandes was clearly indicating for Lingard to go in between two midfield or two Wolves players to go in the middle of the pitch and he decided to go right on the touchline where there were already two other Manchester United players like I think that just says a lot about what, well their spatial awareness what, and their man- their game management and yeah, their game and understanding like the, it's a bit worrying just where just how far how far he's fallen as well Lingard because like that would be the kind of space he would operate in like he was a very good space operator even under Mourinho like that was one of the few good parts of Mourinho's reign is he, he figured out how to use Jesse Lingard in an interesting and an exciting way. Like Lingard had some fantastic performances uh, during Mourinho's stint at United and now he just looks completely drained of all life on the pitch and uh, as I said, you know, may not have the kiss of death, I suppose. Um, so, like, it, 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 it's the thing with Oli as well, or Oli, uh, Gunnar Solskjaer, that, like, there is no plan. Like uh, like you mentioned, maybe Bruno Fernandes is the first piece in the puzzle, but I highly doubt that. Uh, I'm just being optimistic here. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair enough. And someone has to play devil's advocate, I suppose. But uh, just the, he had a quote there. Like he's got a few really bad Moisean-like quotes there recently. But he had one after the Wolves game where he was like, uh, you know, a lot of teams fail to break down Wolves, this Wolves team or something on those lines. Yeah. It's actually like, only two teams haven't scored against them this season or something like that. Yeah. And one of them plays against them next week. <laughs> uh, so, like, that's nonsense. They're at home. Like, they didn't even really look like scoring. Like, they had a couple... Bruno Fernandes himself actually had a couple long-range efforts that nearly went in. But, like, they're extremely low XG shots. You can't rely on those. They're not a plan. They're just hope and luck. Like, you can't... You can't... That's not a game plan. Like, yeah. you can't just take long shots and hope one of them goes in. Like, I know the law of averages might say one of them will eventually go in, but that's over the course of five, six games, maybe, at best. Um, so that's that's worrying as well, that their best chances were long-range shots. Martial just not running when when they had the ball. He, he didn't look like he wanted to do anything for Fernandez. Like... Obviously, it's only his first game for the club, so it's going to be hard to judge him. But, like, if if Pochettino walked in the morning, I'm sure he'd find a good use for him, which I can't say for a lot of other players at the club. No, and it's kind of the sad indictment on the whole state of affairs, and we've talked about it many times this season. It's just, you're losing hope. Uh, like, if you're watching that club week in, week out, they're not getting any better. They're getting worse. Excuses are piling up. Like, I heard the their work to the bone they've nothing left was another quote from Solskjaer this was the past weekend talking about his Manchester United players and it was like they don't seem work to the bone their stats certainly don't portray that um, and you know they're, they're, they haven't had a, like a congestion any worse than any other club and yeah I I don't know what, what he's watching to what we're watching but it, it's not encouraging for their future 
Uh, and then just to kind of wrap up, are there any other transfers you you want to highlight? Or well, the, I, uh, our our friend over at Borussia Dortmund who scored six goals in ninety minutes. Uh, yeah, seven seven goals actually. Yeah, Bra- Erling Brutaland is his full name. Is uh, Brute is just such a fitting middle name. Mm. Uh, he 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 like it's not often like there was a piece I think on the Athletic about how actually a lot of strikers that come in in January score once or twice like some of them don't even score at all and they don't make any difference in a team's position between before and after they were signed yeah. but uh, Erling Haaland does seem like the kind of player that might actually win Dortmund the league like he, he might be one of the most influential January transfer signings ever the way he's going like what a talent like uh, yeah. you know there, there was the link with Man United there before the window opened it's obvious now that he just chose Dortmund, and I, I can see why. Yeah, uh, I think most of us can see why he chose Dortmund over Man United. Uh, Definitely. I know Dortmund would probably only get him for a couple of seasons, but what a couple of seasons they have ahead of, ahead for themselves. Yeah, he's fantastic, and like with Jaden Sancho coming back into form as well, just before the end or before the second half of the season, it looks like it's a it's it's a proper title race going on in Germany again. Although Bayern are back on top as usual. Um, that was one obviously Inter we talked briefly about them as well they basically getting the old Chelsea team back together Milan trying to sign a Wigan player is also also a very interesting signing <laughs> uh, Madrid and Barcelona not really doing much I know Barcelona sold a centre forward they had and on the on the pretense that they'd sign another player and they didn't and that kind of hurt them I think they and left, it's hurt their uh, season they left uh, Bacambu is that his name stranded in an in a airport not knowing whether they were going to sign him or not. Yeah. Uh, he, he tweeted at uh, some, I think it was transfermarket.com to add almost signed for Barcelona onto his profile. <laughs> so good to see a bit of sense of humor about yeah. it. Because uh, I imagine he was pretty annoyed at that to be left in a, left in a hotel, or not a hotel, in, a, in an airport, airport yeah. knowing his future. future. Um, so yeah, that was pretty miserable. And again, the, the a kind of damning indictment of the way that that club's being run, especially because yeah. uh, Setien said uh, that he was apparently promised a centre forward, and that's why they let that guy go. Yeah, uh, that they sold, and then that guy and a centre forward never arrived. Yeah, so they sold a player without any replacements that they were going to sign. Like they, they really are a shambles. Yeah, and a few other like wingers. There's weird things happening this this January window where like I, I believe Anderlecht signed a winger from Juventus, and another uh, another player went the opposite direction to uh, I want to say Milan from uh, or maybe to Bayern. I'm I'm getting confused. There were so many little mini transfers. Nothing of any great importance happened this window, which is why it was striking to me that there was so much analytics done around it and saying, oh, this was very interesting. I was like, I don't think so. I think there was very little value in the market. And I think a lot of the clubs, similar to previous Christmases or Januaries, are keeping their hand cards close to their chest and hoping for something to come out in the summer that'll maybe make them spend a bit more money i think they're all being very cautious in these in these days wondering whether the market's eventually going to collapse in on itself because if the likes of barcelona and madrid continue to not do business apart from the ludicrous gigantic signings that they make it kind of it kind of has a knock-on effect on the rest of the market and the rest of them hold up until those transfers are made and then they know everyone has money in the market yeah, like it's the kind of January transfer window that makes me wonder, like, what is the future of the January transfer mm. window? Like, does it remain as it is, or over the course of the next decade, does it change in some way? Like, we've seen the summer window change slightly 
in the sense that they uh, push back or they push forward the transfer deadline day to match the start of the season which hasn't really helped like, anybody <laughs> yeah and like the talk of it going back again to the way it was mm. which i think would be a set backwards for the transfer well i think it's it's important like, to have a unified window if you're having it so it is but uh my hope at least would be that everyone went with what the premier league are doing because i do like the idea that you know the season starts and that's it that you're stuck like that until at the very least january but the season doesn't uh, well, start earlier in England than it does in the rest of Europe. So that's... yeah, that is you know it is awkward. You can't really expect them all to start at the same time, especially because like the Bundesliga only has thirty four games instead of thirty eight. Yeah. There's there's yeah. one more interesting thing which we'll probably come back to in a later episode as a topic of the show, but the effect Brexit is going to have on these windows as well is going to be very interesting because as FIFA regulations currently show you need to effectively England now will do you know the, the the hoops everyone has to jump through to get players from Brazil they have to get work permits and passports and prove that they're an internationally recognised player and all that sort of stuff before they're giving the given the work permit for working in the UK as a professional footballer that is now what's going to have to happen until, unless there's some deal struck up with FIFA and the European Union and the British authorities that, that's what's going to have to, have to happen from January next year that all of these players are going to have to be justified and have all these rules and extra special things it's going to be prohibitively costly for a lot of the smaller teams especially to sign players from Europe coming you know co- coming from France coming from Germany coming from Holland coming from from Spain coming from Italy coming from anywhere that they previously were easily coming from Ireland even any players that were easily acquired previously will now become that bit more difficult and it will kind of probably delve the market into a lower echelon of, of spending because they don't have the Premier League money won't really be there anymore yeah like that is obviously an interesting point and my understanding is that uh, the summer window is the last to, to not be affected yeah I believe like, so because there's there were normalization normalized relations at the moment yeah which is you know whatever's going on there I suppose it's there's stuff going on there that's not to do with football at all that's just ended up impacting mm. it uh, so yeah like a really flat January transfer window like the Fernandez deal I think is the biggest Premier League one uh, just by virtue of the fact that no one else brought in anyone big like 47 million is a lot to spend when you consider no one else spent anything really like Sheffield United are the next biggest fee I think uh, actually no it was Tottenham with San- with uh, Bergwijn uh, for 25 and then Sanderberg for 22 mm. so a relatively uninteresting flash and uh, not really noteworthy at all January transfer window what a wonderful uh, way to end the show yeah uh, yeah we've uh, <laughs> it's nothing really to preview as well normally we would uh, take a break and head to a Premier League preview but there's nothing really to preview because of this winter break that we've been talking about all show there's a few games on next week Man City play West Ham who they normally crush uh, even in their bad days, they still tend to crush them three or four nil. Uh, West Ham in the relegation zone as well, so <laughs> I don't expect much from that. No, I uh, don't think you do either. Yeah, so uh, a week showing uh, next week. Hopefully, something happens in the news in the meantime for us to talk about. Uh, if all else fails, we've got the Champions League to preview next week. Absolutely. Uh, but until then, uh, thank you for being here, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Declan. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. You can also follow us on social media at the TF Pod on Twitter and Total Football Pod on Instagram. You can also be found on podcast services including Spotify by searching Total Football Podcast. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.